Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. I'm Dan Miller. If you were working last week, it seemed like you were one of the few. Folks cleared out and headed to the beach and to the mountains. How lucky are we that we have both in our state borders? Now it's back to work. Everyone's back in place. Summer's in full swing, so I thought it would be a good idea to check in with Rod Gerganis, Beaufort County Extension Director, to get his take on how crops look, especially in the Blacklands area. Jeff Turner, my co-host, the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Board of Agriculture. And Jeff texted me to say he has got a leg up on whatever virus he had been battling. And, you know, it's times like this that I'm glad that I'm here in the radio ranch in Pitt County and he's in a remote studio in Duplin County. Agriculture in North Carolina is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. We'll get up with Jeff Turner in just a moment, but first, when you're out in eastern North Carolina, grab yourself a copy of The Farmer's Connection. You can get it at Premier Equipment Company, Acock Tractor, Keenansville Equipment, Caps Trailers in Kinston, Mark Chesson and Sons, and at AgriSupply. It's a print magazine that you can hold in your hands and spend some time with. And while you have it, take out the subscription form. Send it back and then it'll show up automatically. I get it on my desk every month. Gives me a chance to check out new equipment supplies as well as used equipment bargains. Vendors I might not know about as well as auction schedules for Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Farmers Connection Magazine. Been around for a long time and there's a reason why. Pick up a copy today at nearly any independent farm equipment dealer. This is Agriculture in North Carolina. I'm Dan Miller, joined by my co-host, Jeff Turner. How goes it, Jeff? All day long, I've been sitting on my hands just to keep from clapping. It's so good. (laughs) Hey, it's good to hear you. I mean, last week you were were whispering and screeching. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm getting there. Slowly but surely, it's... uh, as I said last week, this too shall pass, and it did. Yeah, it depends on how you were raised, right? I mean, that's uh, right. I mean, my, my my parents were like, "Rub some dirt on it, you'll be just fine." Yeah, keep going. I passed a hog truck the other day on Highway 11, and on the back it had live animals. It didn't have any live animals aboard at that particular point, but it had Piers negative and another negative on it. And I don't remember seeing either of those signs before. Is that something new? PERS negative and PED negative. That's part of a biosecurity protocol that everyone knows that that particular truck is negative and it hasn't been to a farm that is positive for PERS or PED. So it's an effort to try to make sure that a clean truck goes to a clean farm and you don't, you don't have a, a truck that just left a PED positive farm and it winds up over on a clean farm. Yeah, it was a Smithfield truck, and I imagine that that's grade A number one for them. And as a grower, you like to see that because you don't, you know, they come on the farm, you don't know where the truck's been. Again, they've stepped up their management protocol to try to limit the spread of of any type of disease. China's sow herd is contracting month to month, down nearly 2% in the month of June, as a matter of fact. Hog prices here up a touch from May, but far below where they were last August. In fact, the last two summers, 22 and 21, hog prices were incredible. What is the what is the governing factor here, Jeff? We're still what I would call at lower prices, much lower than you'd like to see, and and that's because we have a an abundance of animals that normally would be going to the export market that for whatever reason they're not going. So you've got some 
you know, it's kind of backing up in the system and, and that what they say on the Packer level, the cutout's not as good as they'd like to see. Most of the Packers are making pretty good money on their processed meat side. It's supply and demand here. The China thing is just an unusual piece. African swine fever is still there. My guess is they're still managing through that. Pig prices is pretty good in China right now. Mexico is a 50% tariff on white corn imports. So that lasts through the end of the year. The USDA is protested with the International Trade Organization. The Mexican government now has drafted a proposal to make products made from corn dough. They can't contain any GMO corn. They're hoping that they'll have that in place by the end of the year. It reminds me much like the state of California for Prop 12. They've got this thing figured out, except, as critics note, there's no funding for the cost of laboratory testing to determine if there is GMO corn that's in the mix. It sounds good, but how do you monitor it? How does, again, Prop 12, how are you going to monitor it? You know, by, by the way, they've agreed now to push Prop 12 off another six months, and, and there's still not going to be any meat available to them. My guess is it's going to keep getting pushed for some time to come. This thing with the Mexican corn, the um, this is all white corn, and they say they'll put in measures later on uh, on just uh, on feed corn. Given what uh, the numbers are of U.S. imports and what Mexico raises itself, I don't think that'll ever happen because they just can't get enough corn. No, and again, corn is a, a huge part of of the diet in Mexico. I mean, and especially white corn for human consumption. We've we talked about this several times in the program, but I have not ever found such a glaring example of the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Standards Division at work. They have collected fines from 37 stores in 22 counties. Here's an example. Family Dollar Store, 1307 South Street in Windsor, paid $15,000 in penalties. An initial inspection of August in 2022 found an error rate of 32% on 50 items that were scanned. And before you ask, yes, all the scanned items were higher than the actual price. The same store has been inspected three times since. In September of last year, 22% of 300 items scanned were found to be over. In November, 23% of 300 items scanned were said to be listed higher. And again, in January of this year, 23% of 300 items overcharged. You could say, okay, I'll go to a different store. I'll shop the Family Dollar in a Husky, 25 miles up the road. Now, they were fined $20,000. Maybe head over to Hertford. That's just a few miles more. Nope. They were fined $32,685 for overscanning items. Well, you got to pay for that building somehow. <laughs> that ain't much of a building to pay for. If they go out of business, it becomes as a farm shop. There's one on every other corner. So Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will say, too, you know, in, in reading this thing month to month, with very few exceptions, almost always a family dollar or a dollar tree. Almost always. And the, I think their cash register are updated via satellite. So it's not like the folks in the stores are putting label on things. Those left years ago. They grew so quickly. Just think about the number of those stores that have popped up uh, uh, eastern North Carolina. And seriously, on every other corner you find one, my guess is it's, it's a lot of growing pains. Oh, I think that's probably true. And I think there is some consolidation, too, where one bought the other out. I can't, that I have yep. to check. But. Well, we used to call them the dime store. This is true. Hey, Woolworths five and <laughs> that nine. That no longer works. No, no, sir. Anything else happening in your neck of the woods? Pretty quiet. You know, this we've we've had some really good weather, I think, on crops and uh, in my travels. It appears that corn looks really good. All, all the crops look really good. You know, there's some places here and there that got too much rain, and a place that got too little rain. So 
You mentioned crops. We'll go over that in detail in just a moment when we get up with Rod Gerganis, Beaufort County Extension Director. That's next. Ag and NC is brought to you in part by Syngenta, a leading agricultural company helping to improve global food security by enabling farmers to make better use of available resources. The future lies in precision agriculture. Create your plan with help from Syngenta. This is Ag and NC. I'm Dan Miller, joined by Jeff Turner, my co-host. We're both joined by Rod Gerganis, the Extension Director in Beaufort County. Jeff? Rod, you got to tell me, what is the state of the situation with regards to crops in eastern North Carolina? It's pretty good right now, for the most part. And when I speak about my area, especially the Blacklands and the surrounding area, we're in pretty decent shape. We came out of a really good wheat crop. Some of the farmers had the best yields they've ever had. Going into uh, planting season this year with corn, soybeans, cotton, those crops look pretty good. We, we haven't gotten a tremendous amount of rainfall in most spots. It, we've been getting a lot of very timely rainfall. Now, we're not drastically dry anywhere, and we've also got some pockets, especially as you get into Hyde County down towards Inglehart, they've gotten too much rain. I mean, it's it's starting to show up down there with too much rain. So for the most part, the crops look good. We're getting decent, timely rainfall. You know, the, the, the funniest thing about this growing season, and one of the things I'm hearing from growers, the, the shock of the experience of what this spring has brought. Uh, several growers told me they've never seen a spring like this before. For a change, we actually had a spring instead of going right from winter to summer. And that cooler weather we had, those cooler nights and cooler daytime temperatures really in the spring seemed to shorten our corn crop a little bit. It definitely affected the cotton crop. Cotton did not grow off well at all, but it's rebounded in the last few days. And some of the later planted corn looks really good. But that earlier planted corn seemed to shorten up a little bit with the stress of the, the cooler temperatures. Maybe not so much rainfall you know, early on, but by, by and large, I think we're in pretty decent shape right now. A note, by the way, the National Drought Mitigation Center says that even though the Midwest got pretty good amount of rain last in the last maybe 14 days they got soakers like we've been getting so overall 67 percent of the corn crop 60 percent of the soybean crop still considered in drought really looking at the state of north carolina the only area that may be a little drier a couple of the peanut counties hertford northampton and halifax yeah we again like you said there's a spot or two around that you'd like to have a rainfall but those that duration has has been fairly short I've seen corn twist in one or two days in this excessive heat, but you're going to see that. But it's it's been very short-lived, and we, we get a thunderstorm that uh, alleviates that stress, and we've got a, a day or two of uh, moisture in the soil, and, and again, it's been very timely. We're, we're in pretty decent shape compared to the Midwest, for sure. The corn acres, obviously, are up this year across the United States. Isn't that predominantly because of input prices last year? Whenever we look at the the crop reports we always look as compared to the year before. And last year, nitrogen was so high, people said, well, I'm just not going to plant corn. I'll, I'll plant beans or I'll, I'll plant cotton. In fact, the soybean acres and the cotton acres are off a bit, comparatively speaking, from last year. Was that all driven, you think, by input prices for 2022? Probably so. I could argue against that. I would 
think that maybe somewhere in the equation somebody might have been, you know, a forward thinker looking at prices and saying, look, you know, there's some potential here for corn, and maybe they, that might have driven a few more acres. I think cotton in our area, so, you know, we've got a pretty decent mix of corn, well, or predominantly corn and soybeans. We do have some cotton acres. And cotton last year was, man, the prices jumped up, and then they really, they really tanked. I know the guys that have the cotton equipment that are kind of invested in cotton or going to grow cotton again, but it wouldn't surprise me if there wasn't a little bit of a change in acreage in our area just based on the fact that some of the cotton acres might have shifted possibly. I don't know that for a fact, but, you know, again, these guys looking down the road at what they can do and they've got the flexibility, they're going to take advantage of, of what they can grow and you're right, coming out of last year with a reduction in corn acres with input prices being where they were, fertilizer prices, I'm sure we saw some rebound there. Um, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, cotton prices are down. I, Wendell Murphy, for years on hog prices, he said the best cure for high hog prices are high hog prices because everybody jumps in and, and they overdo it and the price goes down. That's the way it works. Two farmers that I know of, one was 100% cotton last year, this year's corn and soybean mix, and the other one reduced by 50% the number of cotton acres he was growing. So I think I think your supposition is right. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, because, I mean, that cotton price was good there, and then it went backwards for what little bit I've been watching the market. I'm not sure where it stands right now. and But now we had a decent cotton crop last year, too, and we can grow good cotton. This weather pattern shifted, and we're, we're, we're heading into an El Nino. We've had a few summers now here where we had a good harvest season as we go into fall, and that has been huge for us. If we go back to a wetter pattern getting into September, October, you know, an earlier wet pattern, we that's going to hurt, obviously. Yeah, uh, cotton is around 80, 80 bucks. Of course, corn's around five, and that's uh, that's off quite a bit from a year ago as well. So, any unusual insect pressure this year? Not so far. I did see some hessian fly damage on wheat, uh, which I have not seen in the last few years to to any great degree. Outside of that, uh, I had a few growers saying they were seeing a lot of or some June bugs in soybeans feeding on, you know, doing some uh, foliar feeding on leaves. Uh, stink bug pressure, I think, has been fairly low. I haven't really talked to anyone that's had the spray yet or, or felt like they, they really needed to for the most part. So uh, I think we're all right. One of your cohorts, Dr. Rachel Van, friend of the program, also, as Jeff likes to say, the soybean queen, she actually has announced a new interactive website for soybeans across the state. You can drill down by county just about. She reported some slug feeding at a farm in Windsor and a little bit of uh, potassium deficiency in Williamston and uh, some bean leaf beetle damage in Sampson County. Uh, of course, she's given it a very sexy name. It's called Beans Gone Wild. You can ch- check it out. Beansgonewild.ces.ncsu.edu. Yeah, that's a, a new effort. I actually have the honor of being a part of, of that effort, getting it up and going. As Rachel called the other day and said, why haven't you put any bean problems up on the website? I said, I haven't had any bean problems to put up yet. It's, it's been that kind of year. Great. Here in the last week, I've seen a few things. I'm actually uh, on my way to Raleigh to take some samples to the disease lab right now. So 
so I hope to be loading a few things up here as we go along. Very good website. I think it's going to help folks out a lot. You know, they might see something that they're seeing in their field and diagnose the problem. Coming up August 8th, the Cunningham Research Station in Kinston is hosting the North Carolina Second Annual Hemp Field Day. You can register, if you wish, on Eventbrite. Rod, did anybody put any substantial amount of hemp in? Nobody can figure that mystery out, right? I have no hemp in my area that I know of. There may be a few patches off in the woods somewhere that we're not supposed to know of. Yeah, less than uh, industrial. As far as the legal crop goes... I'm not aware of anybody in in my area growing currently. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think there is. You know, that thing uh, a few years ago jumped up and looked like it was going to be a really good deal, and I think some people held on to some product a long time trying to get rid of it. That doesn't mean something couldn't happen in the future. I think some guys would be geared up and, and be very willing to go back down that road if it's a viable product. What are farmers talking about in the general sentiment in uh, the Blacklands area this uh, it, midway through summer almost? Really two things. I guess commodity prices uh, and where they're going or potentially have the potential to go up or down. The weather in the Midwest, of course, affecting that. And then input prices, you know, some things are still high. I think some of the guys are, are certainly aware of that and mindful of it. You know, the third thing I would add to that is the recent Supreme Court ruling, Sackett, that was ruled on, which is going to have a big impact on the waters of the U.S. rule uh, moving forward. So we don't really know at this point anything about that or where it might go, but I know that is a something that farmers in our area, as you could well understand, given the drainage issues we have being so low to, you know, close to sea level, that's one that's going to be on everybody's mind moving forward in winter and but those are the things that I'm hearing the most about right now. Wherever it goes, going to be better than where it was. I would imagine that uh, fewer uh, fewer farmers putting machinery in sheds, new machinery, that is, just because of interest rates. If I was to take a windshield inventory as I roll down the road looking around, I probably haven't seen quite as much new equipment this year as in the past. I mean, some of it, now some people have to make a move, and they're just going to have to pay the higher interest rates, obviously, but... Uh, some folks are looking at equipment and saying, you know what, we can hang on a little while longer and see where this thing goes. So uh, I don't blame them. Some of these guys that are farming today have never seen anything like this. You've you got to go back to the dad, older fathers, and even the grandfathers on the farm to uh, hear the stories about you know higher interest rates in the early and mid-'80s. I'm not sure if I got my gray hairs because the interest rates or just because I was around back then. More Ag and NC in just a moment, but first let me share this about Bill Carone Cars in Wallace, the only Chevy GMC dealer in eastern North Carolina to be an Ag Pack dealer, which means any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000 in savings on products you may already use. Everything from tires to crop products. Check out the advantages of the Ag Pack program. Check in with Bill Carone Cars in Wallace. <laughs> 